the volume. Oral Sessions is brought to you by FanDuel. It's never been easier to play fantasy on FanDuel. Whether you love basketball, golf, soccer, or any other fantasy sport, there's a contest for every fan. FanDuel, more ways to win. Hey guys, welcome to Oral Sessions with me, Renee Paquette. This is a very fun episode about a show that I freaking love. And if you listen to this podcast, you probably also love this show. I have on the creators of Dark Side of the Ring, Jason Eisner and Evan Husney. We talk all things season three of Dark Side of the Ring. That will all be dropping, uh, or the season premiere rather, will be dropping on May 6th, starting out with the Brian Pillman episode. This one is a two-parter. They've got 14 episodes Coming up on this season of Dark Side of the Ring, just delving into all of the craziness of the world of sports entertainment. Wrestling, if you will. We'll call it wrestling here. We don't have to call it sports entertainment. It's wrestling. Uh, but just talking to these guys about their their creative standpoints, getting the show together, getting the show up and running, some of the crazy interviews that they've done along the way, um, just their history of being content creators and being wrestling fans and how they met, how this concept all got started into making one of um, what I would say one of the most beloved wrestling shows. So much fun to watch. I mean... There's a lot of darkness here as well. I mean, obviously, it's in the name of the show, but just really peels back all of these layers of of things that have gone on in the world of wrestling. You guys are going to love it. You guys are going to love these two dudes. Uh, Let's just get into it. Here they are. Here's Evan and Jason from Dark Side of the Ring. Sessions today, joined by none other than the masterminds behind Dark Side of the Ring, Jason Eisner, Evan Husney. Thanks for hanging out with me, guys. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for having us. There's a million things that I want to pick your guys' brains on. I mean, there's, it, it, I feel like there's so much cool wrestling content, especially right now. And you guys are at like that tippy tippy top. You guys have been kind of crushing it for some time. Oh, thank you. Has like WWE tried to like, Scoop you guys up? They must have. Uh, scoop us up? No, I, I think they're probably wanting to do the opposite. They want to scoop us away. <laughs> well, but I mean, at least creatively, <laughs> creatively what you guys are doing. I mean, yes, having that like peek behind the curtain and telling these amazing stories. But I think like creatively what you guys are able to do. I mean, you can't deny that even if you're talking about shit, they might want to sweep under the rug. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're, we're fans, you know, we're, we're huge wrestling fans. I mean, uh, and it have been, you know, I was raised on, you know, WWE stuff, uh, for sure. Um, I actually had a job interview at WWE once. <laughs> How did that go? What was it for? Funny enough, after we did season one of the show. So before it had come out, um, I was just looking for, you know, picking up some freelance producing work and I saw a posting for WWE. I'm like, well, why not? You know? And so I actually, I actually went up there, uh, and it was like, make sure you bring a suit. Got to bring a suit. I don't own a suit. <laughs> what, what did you do? What did you wear? I like went to Zara and like got fitted, you know, for my WWE, you know, interview. And it was, it was funny. And I, and you know, I, I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm friends with, you know, Bruce Pritchard from our season one. This is before he went back to the company and, and was like, you know, asking him for pointers and you know all this stuff. And it was so, it was so wild. And then I, I like went there, interviewed with like 73 people and, you know, and then just, they put you through the gauntlet. They, did, it, they yeah. really like, it's not just one person. They did the same to me. 
I was like, what the fuck? I thought it was like, I thought it was going to be there for 30 minutes. I was there for like what felt like a fucking week. Exactly. And then it was like, okay, so who's our champion right now? Do you know who our champion is? You <laughs> Did know? they really? They quizzed yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I said, I don't know, but I bet it's Brock Lesnar, you know, <laughs> you know, of course, you know, and that, but it, it was amazing. Like, like do you, how, what's your familiarity level with the, you know, I was like, well, I've interviewed 60 wrestlers, you know, for a television, and like what, you know? And, and so it was, it was interesting, but um, it, it, I mean, wow, could have been a different story, you know, we're telling today, you know, if I, if I actually didn't get the job, I didn't get the job. It's funny how things like that happen that like it is totally a blessing in disguise because, yeah, we might we would not have Dark Side of the Ring, at least not the second and third seasons of it. They would have shut that down 100 percent. It was like a freelance thing. So it would have been like three months or whatever. But who knows? You never know. Maybe I would have been I would have moved on to a permanent situation. Who knows? You could have been on the road. You could have been sitting in those production meetings, just learning it all, being a part of the whole big wheel. Could have gotten in the ring. Could have done a run in it too. <laughs> yeah, let's take a bump. We're ready. Yeah, yeah. The next time you're watching basketball, I've got the perfect way for you to get in on the action for free. I'm talking about NBA in play. It's absolutely free to play on the FanDuel app and features all the fun of live betting. NBA in play turns every quarter of every game into a free contest where you can win real cash prizes. So while you're watching the game, all you have to do is predict the outcome of plays and game props before they happen to claim your share of the prize pool. Best of all, a new contest starts every quarter of every game, giving you even more ways to win. FanDuel is the exclusive home for NBA in-play, so the action's always available right at your fingertips on the FanDuel app. The app is so easy to use and it takes less than two minutes to sign up. And it doesn't matter where you live or where you're traveling to because NBA in-play is available in every state. Don't miss your shot. Get in the game and download the FanDuel app to start playing NBA in-play today. Okay, so how did the whole concept come together for you guys to put together Dark Side of the Ring? Well, basically a few years ago, Evan and I, we like, you know, we were obsessed with the history of wrestling and we were kind of developing like taking all these stories that we were researching and developing like a like a narrative scripted like tv series idea like we wanted to do kind of like you know the sopranos epic boogie nights telling of the you know the old territory days of wrestling um but when we took that to hollywood and we pitched that to people it just like went over every executive's like head And so we thought, well, we're not going to get this off the ground, but like, let's see if we can try and, you know, tell a story or two out of in in a a documentary format. And so we became obsessed with the story of Bruiser Brody, which was our pilot episode for season one. And, you know, at first we thought that was going to be it. Like it could just be this one documentary, but that then, you know, we got the order to make more episodes. And so we made six of them and, that did well. And then the rest was history after that. So what was the pitching process like for you guys trying to get the show up and running, trying to take it to the executives in Hollywood that just weren't getting the wrestling brand? We mentioned earlier that, you know, wrestling content, there's so much of it now. Back then, this is even before Glow came out. There was nobody had any interest. It was like wrestling, uh, you know, whatever that, that, you know, hokey stuff, you know, what, you know, so there was no appetite for it in TV or in movies or anything. So we were pretty discouraged and it was like kind of an effort to like prove that these stories are you know, cause growing up as fans and, you know, watching all the shoot interviews on YouTube and everything like, you know, you know, these stories are, are wild, 
you know, we had the opportunity to tell them, uh, I think non-wrestling fans would be fascinated by them, you know, not just fans, you know? So the Brody one really fit that for us. Cause it was like, this is a true crime story, like entangled in the world of wrestling, like in the locker room. And here's a guy who's very different than his in-ring character. And he has a family, but then like, you know, the, the wrestling storylines spill out into the courtroom and, you know, who knows what's real. And, you know, this guy gets off for, you know, essentially murdering Bruiser Brody. And it's, it was just a wild story. So I remember pitching it as that, like, here's true crime in the world of wrestling. That's what we want to tell. And, you know, Jason and I just like really wanted to see wrestling content or wrestling documentary stuff, like just elevated, like all the wrestling documentaries, which we love. There's many we love or shoot interviews. You know, you watch a lot of these shoot interviews and they're all like, you know, shot on someone's height camera in a, in a like Ramada, you know, which is cool. I'm down for that because it adds to the experience, but we're like, if you could get a great lens, awesome, you know, music, just elevate it, make it seem like the most important thing in the world. Like, I think it would work. And so that was kind of the whole pitch is like, this is a wild world. And then the Brody story just being as, as, as wild as, as it is, was kind of the one that really, you know, pushed it over the edge, I think for the net for, for vice. So, okay. So that's, so you guys brought it to vice, Were you already working for vice at the time. I was, yeah, I, I was there as like a staff producer producing documentaries for them. And, uh, I pitched it to my department there and they were like, this is too expensive. There's no way we can afford this. Sorry. And then they launched the TV network shortly thereafter. And then they were like, all right, if you want to pitch ideas for the TV show, like let's hear them. And then I was like, I got one. And then it just kind of worked. It just fell into play. It took a while. I mean, I'm oversimplifying it. It was months and months and months of convincing and hurdles and, you know, money and budgets and things like that. But yeah, it took about a year probably before we started shooting it. It's really funny how that kind of goes. Cause I mean, even just like some pitches that I've had, like even, especially since I've left WWE, like taking general meetings with other places or like, tell me about wrestling. Like people are really starting. And I shouldn't just say starting. I mean, obviously it's been around for forever, but like you said, it can be this very niche world that the rest of Hollywood kind of keeps at an arm's distance where now I think people are really starting to be like, okay, wait, first of all, the fan base for wrestling is absolutely insane and voracious and they want to consume everything. So I think like other networks starting to realize that. I mean, obviously you look at shows like Young Rock, you look at what A&E is now doing with the documentaries. Um, One thing that I really love that you guys do is having the reenactments. Your reenactments are so good. I love watching them. When John and I, we were watching back the, the bit for for what he's doing with Nick Gage's episode with the pizza slicer episode. He's like, oh my God, look at the guy like being me with the pizza slicer. It's it's nuts. The pizza slicer thing real quick. That was like out of necessity because the actual footage of the pizza cutter in the mouth was a no, 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 no. That was like the first like hard no, I think we've ever gotten from standards. Rightfully Can't show that. so. I agree with them because I don't like the original. <laughs> we wanted to have reenactments in the show, but I mean, we, we were like, yeah, we'll figure it out down the line. We'll just, you know, get sets and we'll have actors and period. And I was like, no, but we can't afford that. And Jason came up, had this eureka moment with some action figures and figured it out. I was staying at Evan's apartment in, in Brooklyn and we were developing the show and we're trying to figure out like, how are we going to do these reenactments, you know, to do period and build sets and all the costumes and the casting, like, you know, it seemed almost impossible, but I was like staging out like some shots just with like my cell phone. I turned it in, I put it into slow motion. I took a flashlight and I was shooting the scene with Tony Atlas, uh, trying to save Bruiser Brody's life, um, from the pilot episode. And I did that. And then I actually like filmed myself 
saying some a couple of Dutch's lines I've heard in previous interviews. And then I cut it together with the music and then I showed it to Evan when he came back to the apartment. And at first it was like, damn, can we do this with the action figures? Like, Did we just do it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, because like in wrestling, like all the, re- like usually when you just see like a, you know, a wrestler's character's silhouette, like if you just saw the silhouette, you know that that's like that iconic like character. So we just have to try and get the silhouettes down you know, that can go a long way. And uh, hopefully, you know, the idea the, that we want to do is with like, with everyone speaking directly to camera and with like the music having this sort of like, you know, Philip Glass uh, kind of trance-like quality. And then with these blurry reenactments that people feel like they're transported like into these long lost memories kind of. Yeah. I mean, I would say mission accomplished. It's been such a fun journey watching these and like some like stories that I've been unfamiliar with. And like, I have a lot of times people are like, Hey, I want to get into wrestling. Where should I start? I'm like, well, what side of wrestling do you want to know about? And I often will point people in your guys' direction. I'm like, if you want to get hooked into some like crazy shit and like know about some of like the vaudevillain circus, crazy bullshit that can happen in wrestling. I mean, go check out dark side of the ring. It's so cool. How did you guys meet? It was uh, at Sundance uh, in 2009, I think. How fancy. What a posh answer. I know. We were at Sundance at the cocktail party. <laughs> Kate Hudson yeah, was there. Right. It's fine. Evan was working for this like uh, indie uh, horror movie company called Troma that were responsible for Toxic Avenger and Class of Newcomb High. And they, every year, would set up <laughs> down the street as kind of like this punk response to the Sundance This is Home not Festival. glamorous. This is no glamour. Okay. <laughs> you guys were at the underbelly of Sundance. Beneath that, yeah. I had a short film at the time called Treevenge playing at Sundance. And it was, it, it's about Christmas trees fighting back on Christmas day. And that made it into Sundance. And, but the trauma guys wanted me to like come up and like hang out with them. And I met Evan there and we just hit it off like instantly. And I think wrestling was one of the first things that we really bonded over because it's like when you meet like another wrestling fan, especially when you're in the entertainment world that like we were saying kind of like pushes wrestling to the side, when you find somebody else in the entertainment world that has the same appreciation for wrestling, you then just like instantly get it. You know, you, yeah, you just like, you have an understanding that, you know, everyone else at this festival doesn't quite have, you know? (laughs) And so how are you like at a festival like that and start talking about wrestling? Like, how does that even come up amongst two grown ass men that are just like hanging out being like, yo, you catch whatever show. It wasn't just wrestling though. Cause it was also like, you know, we had the interest in like weird Canadian, you know, shot on super eight horror films and a lot of parallels. It wasn't just wrestling. It was like movies, wrestling, music, you know, like some metal crossover, like just lots of different things that just were, we were like, wow, we had similar childhoods, but you know, we're raised in different parts of, you know, North America. I think from there it was kind of like, okay, it spiraled into that. And then like wrestling was like, wow, we did have a similar childhood with like wrestling had a profound effect on us as kids, but also creatively, like we're inspired by, you know, like the color palettes of eighties WWF is like, you know, just unbelievable, you know? And, and like all that, that had a profound impact on us. And we had like defining moments as wrestling fans, as kids, you know, Jason has the best one ever with, you know, your encounter with Skinner, you know? (laughs) Oh, you're (laughs) going to be telling me that story in a second. (laughs) (laughs) Jason, come on, Skinner, please. 
You're in Dartmouth at this point in Nova Scotia? Yeah, my my uncle took me to WWF came when I was like 10 years old and like Hogan was on the card, uh, Macho Man Randy Savage was. And me and my cousin, my uncle, we were sitting right along the guardrail, like kind of midway to the entrance and to the ring. And like Macho Man, like slapped my hand and it was, you know, blew my mind. And then like out comes Skinner, you know, who's got this like Southern Outback gimmick. And me and my cousin are like yelling at him. We're like, you suck, you suck. And he locked eyes onto us and he just like came over and he like grabbed us by the scruffs of our like shirts and pulled us over the guardrail. And like with his like chewing tobacco, I could smell. He's just like leans in and he's like, I'm going to skin you. (laughs) And we were like... And he dropped us and we were so scared. We didn't make another peep like the rest of the night. That's such an amazing story because I feel like the story here is like, man, like Bret Hart came down. He gave me the glasses. Like it's always these like feel good moments. You're like, no, I was threatened by Skinner. (laughs) The most Dartmouth thing that could have happened to you happened to you. (laughs) That's that's very Dartmouth. Are you in Dartmouth right now? Are you still there? Yeah, I'm here right now. I'm in my place in in Dartmouth. Oh, man. (laughs) Send Canada my best. I miss it. I miss it deeply. My my grandparents lived in in Picto, Nova Scotia. No so way, to, really? Yeah, yeah. I used to go out there all the time. I was just doing an interview talking about it. I was like, man, that old pulp mill smell of Picto, Nova Scotia. Gosh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. crazy. Wow. Yeah, I, I know. know that. I love Amazing. that. Yeah. East Coast represent. Yep. <laughs> um, okay, so season six for you guys is starting on May 6th. You guys have just released all of the episodes. You guys are cranking out some gems. What are we looking forward to this season? Oh, wow. Well, I mean, it was, it was, you know, when we, after we finished season two and then they vice called us and we're like, you know, let's do another season. And it was like, how about 14 episodes? And we're just like 14. Like that's such how a big How many were in the number. previous seasons? So both seasons put together one and two was 16 all to said and told. Oh so it's pretty much like, let's just double everything, which is great. I don't want to sound like I'm complaining, but it was just like a, uh, it was like an undertaking, uh, just with, you know, the circumstances of the globe being what they are. And, uh, you know, we'd obviously thought about a lot of episodes that we wanted to do personally, stories we wanted to look into, but it was also like, okay, we got to like do some, some heavy research and we got to reach out to the fan base. What do you guys want to see? And so, you know, you got your deathmatch stuff, you know, you got your, uh, like, you know, like, you know, bio stories, but you also have like, you know, true crime stuff comes back and then you have some deep cuts. And we, and we always love the deep cuts because those ones are like, we don't know any, hardly anything going in. And then we find out something crazy. And like the one that comes to mind for that is talk about Canadian story. The uh, Johnny canine bruiser bedlam story, which is about a guy who was just like ostensibly a jobber in the WWF, but he had this whole secret life of being the president of a biker gang in Ontario. He's like linked to the bombing of a police station in Hamilton. And, and also a like potentially he's, 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 he was never found guilty of it, but he, he was supposedly linked to a a double murder that occurred uh, somewhere also in, in Ontario. And so, that was just like, whoa. So now we're getting involved in some crazy. See, not all Canadians are nice, everybody. <laughs> we, got a, like- <laughs> we got a checkered past. 
Well, I was just going to say, it's funny because my dad like helps to write the voiceover, you know, for the show, which is funny. Like my dad helps write the voiceover and, and he laughed when I was, he had, he were writing the lines for Canadian biker gang. And he's like, Canadian biker gang, how bad can they be? You know, <laughs> you know <it's> like, <laughs> Hey bud, you want to come down, meet me at the Max Milk? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, nothing bad. It's <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not so. happening. So just to get it out there, cause I have the list in front of me. So you guys have the Brian Pillman, Nick Gage, Collision in Korea, Ultimate Warrior, can't wait to see that. Grizzly Smith, Dynamite Kid, uh, Johnny K-9, the one you were just saying. The Steroid Trials, dun-dun-dun. I cannot wait for that one, too. Um, FMW, Plane Ride from Hell, Luna Vachon, XPW, and Chris Canyon. So, yeah, you guys are, like, touching on everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean... Uh, what episode are you most proud of? Like, the whole show? Of this season. We only really truthfully... I hope this isn't breaking kayfabe too much, but we only really have like the first four done. Uh, we have some reenactment shooting to do the back seven still, but um, so it's not fair to all the episodes to pick one now because we're not sure how they're going to evolve, but there's a lot of excitement. I mean, Johnny K9 is one that I'm personally very excited about. Brian Pillman is one too. I mean, Jason, like, you know, that story is one we've always wanted to tell and, and to be able to, you know, have, have, got Steve Austin for that show was personally uh, an awesome moment, you know, <laughs> uh, to be able to get him in the show. Oral Sessions is proud to be presented by FanDuel. You guys never played FanDuel Fantasy before? Great. FanDuel is offering up to a $500 bonus instantly when you make your first deposit with our 20% deposit match. Uh, why do I play FanDuel? I play FanDuel because I'm new to the fantasy game. I kind of need somebody to hold my hand through the whole process. And the thing with the FanDuel Fantasy app is that it's so incredibly easy to use. Even a dumb dumb like me can make it work. And if you happen to be a fence sitter like yours truly, you guys can pick a new team every single game. You can switch it up. You can change your mind. It's all up to you. Ball is in your court. So FanDuel is offering new users a deposit match of up to 500 smackaroos when you make your first deposit. Just go to fanduel.com slash cowherd for more info. Fanduel.com slash cowherd. Fanduel, more ways to win. You guys get really great guests to come on and to help really project these stories out. How do you, how do you book that? How does that all kind of come together for you guys? Well, you know, we've been lucky with season three, you know, having the past two seasons, you know, we've gotten a little bit more clout, I guess you could say. And so, you know, we probably like the Brian Pillman story was something we've always wanted to cover, but we knew in order to do it justice, you, you really had to have, you know, his family involved and, you know, uh, Steve Austin. Um, but had we had not done season one and season two and had how we um, handled the Chris Benoit story, I think um, that has helped us to, um, to, to get more support and, and people are more willing to trust us and want to come on board. So, you know, I don't think we would have gotten uh, Steve had, uh, had we had made the first two seasons. So, yeah, I mean, just the way you guys have been able to, you know, delicately yet truthfully be able to tell these stories. I mean, like you said, I mean, looking, looking at um, even the Owen Hart episode, I mean, being able to have his whole family come in and tell that story. I mean, that's, that's got to be really tough, I would imagine, even just doing those interviews and just like kind of re-delving back into all of that pain for these families. Exactly. And that's one thing we're very sensitive of is that we we don't want to, uh, 
you know, because the show get, you know, has more success or, you know, it, it was something we're very conscious of not wanting to exploit anything, you know, like we don't, we don't really want to, you know, like we would never would have done the Owen episode if Martha hadn't and her family been, you know, been a part of it. Like it just wouldn't have, you know, I mean, you, you, you make a show called dark side of the ring, obviously the Owen story fits into that, but there, you, you have to do it authentically. And from that firsthand sort of experience and, and kind of have them guide you through it as well. And so for us, it was like with that episode it was really special because having Martha on board to hear her side of the story. And that too, just for me was such an eye opener because her side of the story and what she's kind of gone through and everything from her perspective has really been kind of marginalized over the years. And there's, there's like this weird, bizarre tone that a certain subsect of fans had that was like vitriolic against her. Like she's gatekeeping his legacy in some sort of weird way or, 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 you know, whatever, but no, that's just because wrestling had been, you know, consolidated for so many years into just WWE and, and there's a conflict there clearly. And so now that there's AW and now there's other places, Owen's legacy can be, can be shared in other ways. So for us, that really gave us that motivating factor to revisit a story as tough as that it was like, okay, now it gives it purpose. And uh, same with the Benoit story, it was super, super difficult harrowing, horrible, tragic story. But at the same time, the folks involved in it hadn't had a chance, a platform to really talk about these feelings and they wanted to. And then you're talking about family members that were, you know, um, estranged from this and, and wanting to come back together. So it felt like there was purpose. You guys were able to like reconnect family through that. I mean, to be able to see that with Benoit's son and seeing him kind of be able to, you know, see people not seen in such a long time for you guys to be a driving force to, to get that connection reestablished was really cool to see. Well, it was something that was in the works, you know, like they had, they had first started already communicating and it was kind of serendipitous around the time that we were filming it. Um, and we didn't want to be like super intrusive, like let us film you the moment you're, you guys meet at the airport and, you know, do stuff like that. Cause we, you know, but you know, there was this like, with that episode in particular it was such an emotional experience for both of us because, you know, we're, we're, we're flies on the wall to all this. And a lot of it was like, some of, I would say most of the people in the episode, it was really their first time, like really talking about it or getting into it, especially, you know, Chris Benoit's son, David, I think might've been the first time he had ever talked about it. So it was just like, for us, like just such a roller coaster of emotions to go through and just made us check ourselves constantly in how this is being presented and what our motivations are and making sure we're doing, you know, the most tasteful thing possible, you know, while being true to the story. Totally. It's being true to the story and like giving people, you know, their families that platform and helping to tell that story without it being um, exploitive. You know, it's it's wanting to to just tell things as truthfully as possible and, and do justice to those stories. Um, but I imagine during all the filming of this, I mean, like we said, season one, two, now 14 episodes for season three. There must be some crazy shit that has happened while you guys are filming. <laughs> There's oh. got to be <laughs> the the documentary filming this year has been, you know, has been tough because of, you know, the, the pandemic and everything. And, you know, this this season, we're not normally we would just be flying everywhere and bringing all the gear, flying all around, just, you know, boom, 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 film all the interviews. This year we did it all RV style. So the whole show, um, a lion's share of the 105 interviews we did for season three is all on the road in an RV across country multiple times. So it's been these like epic wrestling road trips that we've done. It's almost a show within a show. We've seen some crazy characters and we've been like on the road during the pandemic, seeing the different States 
and how they're reacting, the, the, the various political climates, you know, it's all leading up to the election. It was just a wild time to be doing all of this and kind of seeing a snapshot of everything. And of course, you know, you're meeting characters in the wrestling business. So you're going to come across a few interesting, uh, personalities. (laughs) Anything that you can share or no? I mean, I can share the, the Nick Gage one. (laughs) Here we go. All right. So John obviously knows this guy very well. His name is John Zandig. So John Zantic is the former owner of CZW Wrestling. I have no deathmatch, like, you know, I, I was never a deathmatch wrestling guy. It's not necessarily my cup of tea. I've learned to appreciate and I can get behind Nick, you know, and I can, yeah, Nick, you know, but Same. a lot of, I'm with you. <laughs> a lot of it does <laughs> kind of make my stomach turn and makes me very nervous and, and, weird. um, but, uh, so John Zandig is this, is this fellow who, uh, you know, was essentially the, you know, Nick and John's boss at one point at CCW. And so we wanted to get him in the story because he really was a big part of Nick getting into the business and Nick's rise through, through, through CCW and all that stuff. And, um, oh boy, just that day planning the interview, uh, was, was just like, there were red flags, you know, it was like, okay, he was really just on edge the whole time about like time when you're going to be here. Anyway, we, we roll up to, to his house and we're 10 minutes late and we missed one turn in the RV. And if you miss one turn in an RV, you're screwed for about 10, 15 minutes. So we get there 10 minutes late and we're driving past his house and on the front lawn is a Trump flag. That's the biggest one I've ever seen in my entire life. It has a tank on it that says Trump on it. Like it's the, what's the iconography of this man's home. Oh my god! So I'm like, oh no, here we go. One of these. Okay. Okay. So let me go in guys first. I'll go in. We're walking up to the house. Brave of you. Yeah. I mean, you gotta, you gotta do it. You know, put yourself out there. So <laughs> yeah. walking up to the house and all of a sudden I see like terrified children running out of the house. That's not good. Crying children, screaming. Uh, this isn't good. And I'm just like, Oh boy. I think maybe his partner or something was like, uh, he's real mad at you real mad. And I'm just like, Oh God, you know, I'm thinking this is not good. So I walk up to the house and <laughs> he's, I'm like looking at this Trump flag and staring at it like, Oh Jesus. And then my phone starts ringing. And if you ever seen like when a stranger calls that movie, like it's, it's like the moment when they're like, you know, it's it, the calls coming from in the house. Like I had that moment <laughs> where I looked down and it was one of our producers and I'm like picking it up, staring at the Trump flag and going on the phone and, and listening. And he's like, and she's like, don't go in there. Don't go. He doesn't want you in the house. Turn away, move away. And then just as soon as I'm hearing this, the door bursts open and this man is very large and uh, tall. And it's like, it's like, you know, Chris Farley, like man down by a river. And he's like, kind of just coming out. Like you guys screwed it up. You screwed it up. And he's just like Trump hat, Trump, everything screaming at us and in my face and coming right up here. Like you blew it boys. Get out of my fucking property and blah, blah, blah. And it was crazy. And he just like threw us off. And it's like, as soon as I saw that flag and like everything and him barreling out, I was like, I just needed the one reason to be like, no, I'm not doing this, you know? And then, so as soon as he's coming out, like, you blow it. I was just like, okay, see you later. You know, like, you know, like just, Bye. See you, later, you know, and then, and, and it was a, it was a bummer. And I, I don't mean to, you know, throw this guy under the bus, 
but it just sucked for Nick. I felt like it was such a not, I mean, yeah, sure. I'm late. You can blame me. You can be mad at me. That's fine. But it sucks for Nick, you know, because it's like, you know, Nick, this guy was a big part of Nick's life and it would have been great to get in there. And, uh, but yeah, talk about harm's way. I mean, I, I don't know what was going to happen. And then we wound up inadvertently following him to Walmart. And then he was at Walmart while we we're in Walmart. Oh no, you couldn't escape this guy. That should be like the, the like dot com exclusive of like the shit that didn't actually make the show, but like couldn't make the show. That's a whole other level. Um, you guys actually have a, like because you guys do Dark Southering Confidential. How did that all kind of come together through Vice? Well, they wanted to do um, like a rerun of the show, and I believe they like, were looking like a, a, a new way to kind of present it, or just like you know, we always talk about how we have all this extra footage and material from shooting these episodes, and so they were wondering if there was an idea, that, you know, where we could present some of that stuff or format it into the show. And we had already been doing like a podcast series with Conrad Thompson kind of after every episode and and that was kind of like a great way for people to hear our behind the scenes stories and then Evan had pitched that device as like what's if we take the you know what we do in the podcast bring it to the reruns and kind of format it in a way where we're talking like we do on the podcast and we get to show these clips so yeah it, it seemed it seemed to work I just out love how many like layers there are to this i'm i'm so pumped for this next season to come out um are you are there any stories that you still want to tell within wrestling that you've not been able to kind of sift through Oh man, so many. Um, the 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 John Zandig story. No, uh, the uh, <laughs> sorry. No, the um, the um, uh, the uh, man. So many. I mean, like you know, we always keep them close to our chest because um, you know we always want to be able to give family members the first chance. You know, to to say you know to give us the blessing or not without any weird pressure. But there's a few like every now and then again that you know we're like you know this is one we'd love to do one. We didn't get around to the season, which I think if we ever do get another season, we'd love to do is there's a wrestler named uh, gentleman, Chris Adams. I mean, he, he wrestled in WCW, uh, people, you know, our, our generation might remember from that, but he, uh, he also was in world class and he was just this, um, this, this amazing wrestler, amazing performer, but out of the ring just had a, had a wild life. Every story you hear about this guy is like, Oh yeah. You know, Chris Adams, uh, yeah, he once, you know, super kicked a bartender's eyeball out in Israel and we had to smug him out of the, you know, country and everyone's got that story, you know? And so it's like Chris Adams was definitely one. And, and actually Steve Austin was trained by Chris Adams. Um, like that, that was the very first person who showed him the ropes uh, back in the day. And so there's just a, like a lot there for a story. And that's one that definitely would love to be able to tell. What about you, Jason? Is there one that you kind of want to get out there to the, to the masses? You know, that's definitely one of them. Um, Doing the Bruiser Brody story, the Gino Hernandez story, and the Von Erich story, we kind of call that our Texas trilogy. And for us, that's kind of, if we were going to do the television series version, it would have been like those kind of three episodes and, you know, really kind of centering around world-class championship wrestling. So the story of Chris Adams is kind of like the fourth part of that, you know, that trilogy. And, you know, to see when you hear this, like, the stories about Chris Adams or like Evan said, like everyone's got a crazy story who knew him. That sounds so over the top and unreal. When I first started on the road with WWE, like hearing some of these stories, you're like, wait, what? Like it, there's so many 
Just like, I mean, not to, not necessarily to the extent of deserving like their own like dark side of the ring episode, but just like the crazy shit that would happen before the world of wrestling got tidied up nice and clean. I was just going to ask, like, did you find, um, like, cause you probably met like a lot of like wrestlers who are like generational, you know, like, would you get like stories from them about like, you know, their parents and then their grandparents and not as much through that. But so when I first started, um, traveling on the road, I rode with JBL and Michael Cole so they were my first riding partners. So yeah, I would, I mean, I would always, I mean, JBL is such a, an insane storyteller. I mean, you can hear his stories he does with, uh, with Jerry Briscoe, uh, on their podcast that they have, but yeah, I mean, most of my crazy wild stories would come from JBL. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. I can imagine. You give that guy a couple tall boys. He'll tell you all sorts of stories. It's the best. Oh, wrestling. Speaking of, uh, you know, folks that are, you know, still at, you know, still in, in the company at, at WWE and someone whose story we'd love to be able to tell, uh, that kind of is also another, uh, Texas, uh, related to the Texas story of the world class as well as that, man, Jason, and I have many, many times been like, you know, we would do a free birds episode any time that can happen. I don't know if that, if he would, if he would get the, he would get the approval to do such a thing, but I'm starting to now just be like, I'm going to put this out there. Like I would love to do a free birds episode because there's so much there, you know, with Terry Gordy and obviously Michael and just like, man, the stories, those guys, their, their bond. And of course, you know, with the Von Erics, it just, it has to have, we have to petition for this somehow. Like this has to happen. I mean, I, th- I think start online, start online, get the petition going, but I feel like Michael Hayes, obviously I feel like he'd be down to tell those stories just a matter if he can actually get in there and tell if those stories. I have stories, to change my but... fashion to look like his, I will. <laughs> can I help with that? I think that I, I think I have my finger on the pulse <laughs> with that. I think I can help. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yes. I'll get you a fedora, some like alligator shoes, a nice like violet purple. I want the episode to just open with a slow-mo shot of his closet opening and you're just like just seeing like all this like <laughs> yes. yeah, like Dick Tracy uh character clothes and I want to go with him like when he goes to buy his clothes. Like where what are these shops? Where do they exist? Is it are they all custom done? I don't know where they all come from. Does he have a designer? Does he have like a personal designer? I like to think that he does, but at the same time, I highly doubt and it. Who's that? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We've got to get them in the episode too. Honestly, bring that person in, definitely. Um, okay, so May 6th, everyone can, uh, you guys are starting with the Brian Pillman episode. It's a two-parter, correct? Oh, yeah. That's all about to go down. And um, Evan, before I let you go, I realize that your dad, so your dad was an A&R? Oh, yeah. He was an A&R, like a manager. He was like in the music world, like worked with like Weird Al and shit. <laughs> yeah, he uh my dad has been uh, a lifer in the music business and uh, he was also a manager uh you know his uh, I got to put him over for a minute. He's not just a voiceover uh collaborator with uh Dark Side Ring, but he Does he doesn't do does he just write the voiceovers or he performs them? No voiceover will 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 make it to Chris Jericho unless it's been approved by my father. Um so he's just he's just as part of the creative writing process like you know, he he knows how to somehow make it work he's been there he's been doing it with us since the very first episode you know it kind of goes to show like how homegrown that show is too like we're getting our parents to work on it evan's mom came up with the title for the show too you know and and and, you know we got to give credit to evan's dad because 
Evan, when Evan was a kid, um, his father like worked on this like CD that had Stone, Stone Cold Steve oh, Austin involved in it. Yeah, grab it. And so he got Evan in this like backstage, you know, poster signing, and he took a VHS camera and he filmed Evan. Evan's just like a little kid. He's just like this, you know, little miniature version of himself right now. And he like musters up the courage to like ask. Steve Austin, like a question, he asked him about Goldberg. And at the time, you know, there was a lot of comparisons to Stone Gold and Bill Goldberg. So it was like a, it was a kind of a controversial question to ask, even for a little, a little kid. So it was pretty amazing when we, we got to film an interview, you know, just a few months ago with Steve Austin. And there it came full circle. And you could see Evan there talking to Steve and we even even brought it up in the end and he was so cool about it. I did. I was like, so, you know, when I met you when I was 11, I asked you a question. I want to ask you the same question right now. What do you think of Bill Goldberg? (laughs) (laughs) That's, that's amazing. He was so unfazed by it. Like he was so just like, I'm sure he gets it all the time. He can't like right. walk to the car without someone being like, I met you when I was, you know, <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. like, uh, well, I probably told you to, you know, I, you know, and he's like, when I met you, you know, back when I'm, he was just so genuine about his answer. It was so cool. And it was, it was amazing. Um, but yeah, so my dad had some hand in stone cold metal. Um, but his real, his real accolade to put him over is uh, he was actually Prince's first manager, which is Crazy. Shut the fuck up. No, what? I won't. Uh, no, he, uh, he, yeah. <laughs> That's he, amazing. Is he like from Minneapolis? Yeah. We're all from Minneapolis. Yeah. So, okay. Got it. Um, yeah, it's, it's crazy. Oh, uh, right. I did read that. I just keep thinking you're just in Brooklyn. Duh. I did my research. I promise. No, no one's really from Brooklyn. Uh, no. And, uh, he, uh, <laughs> True. No, but he, he, yeah, he and, uh, he and my mom, uh, like met, you know, Prince when he was very young, seven, 16, seven, 17 around that time period. And, uh, yeah, my dad got him his first record deal and Prince lived in the basement of their house and, uh, the, the West what? coast when they all moved over there. Yeah. So he's part of that whole history. Um, and he actually has a, he has a, he has a book out. He has a memoir out about that whole time. Cause it's so formative, you know, for Prince and his career. And so I, I kind of grew up in the shadow of that, which is, which is, you know, uh, awesome, but it's, you know, it's great. Cause he always encouraged, you know, all of my passions and he was super, you know, I was like, Oh, my kid likes wrestling. We got to do stone cold metal, you know, um, you know, or things like that, you know? So you, well, you and I kind of have like similar, um, backgrounds, Emma, cause my dad also has been in the music industry from the get go. And yeah, he's been, he, so, I mean, he didn't manage, um, Prince, but a shout out to Nova Scotia. He worked with Anne Murray for like 15 years. Yeah. No way. Yeah. No way. I'm a huge part <laughs> for Anne Murray. Yes. Like I can every album right here. Yeah, he's a big so mark for great. that. So great. Yeah, so we we grew up like he, I mean, I would be like backstage at rehearsals for Anne Murray. She like sent stuff to the hospital oh when I was born. God. Like, yeah, he was like very entrenched wow. with uh, with Anne Murray. So not oh. Prince, but oh, you just Anne blew Marie my though. mind. <laughs> you know, I love Prince, but Anne Murray for me is like from Nova Scotia. You got to give it a little bit of love. But it was also my dad that got me in the door through wrestling because he was working at the Sky Dome in Toronto at the time because he was working at all these different concert venues. So he's like, "Oh, we've got wrestling." I was like, "I'll come down and check it out." And I remember like he kind of like snuck us in through the back door, and there was like China and Mankind, and The Rock was there, like. 
Yeah, just like seeing all of these larger than life people and getting to see them. But I remember like talking to Mick Foley about that after. And I was like, you know, your your Austin story of like, I met you when I was like a kid. He pretends he remembers. He doesn't. But it's very sweet of him to pretend he does. <laughs> That's exactly a very similar experience. Like my dad was able to pull some strings. You know, there was like thousands of people waiting outside to meet him. And then I got like the private thing and to be like, hey, what do you think of Bill Goldberg? You know, and it's it's. <laughs> yeah. That's what was my first shoot interview, you know? So that's, that's the Genesis. It all goes back to that, you know, moment. So we got those exclusive moments. It's funny too. Like last time I had dinner with Owen, uh, Evan's dad, you know, we're sitting there and he's like, he's like, you know, what's interesting. It's like, you, you've gotten to interview all your action figures. <laughs> <laughs> it is. That is the weirdest part about this whole thing is like we had action figures of all of these guys, you know, and, and uh, th- that we're interviewing for most of them. And it's just like, it's, it's so weird because sometimes, you know, they're telling you harrowing things that have happened in their lives. And, you know, you had them as a toy and then now they're like, you're this kind of surrogate therapist in some ways. It is kind of surreal in a lot of ways. Um, wild. It really is. I mean, once you like unpeel all of those layers of these, especially when you're looking at guys and women from wrestling that have been these literal real life superheroes. And then once you realize they are human beings that have like been through some shit and have not had cushy lives, it's it's really eye opening. There's some harsh consequences to the, to it, too, which, you know, you know, it's and it's we, we kind of not, you know, we, we wrestle with that, too. It's like. You know, we love wrestling so much and we're so inspired by it. And it's such a big part of our life. But there's also, you know, there's I mean, there's a dark side to it as well. Been wrestling for so long, you know, there's been like the side of it that like toxic masculinity kind of makes you like it, it, it. It's almost clouded over wrestling in a way where people I felt like haven't been able to be open as much as they could, you know, especially wrestlers. So when you see these guys that. You know, like Evan said, we grew up with their action figures and they're, you know, they're playing these super tough characters. And then to see them be very vulnerable is, I think, a very empowering thing, especially, you know, even for myself. It's like to see, you know, these guys talk about these really like, you know, real emotions. Um, it just, I don't know, it's just like inspiring that, you know, makes you feel more comfortable to be able to talk about your own emotions in a way. Certainly. I mean, anyone in the wrestling world's like you're never half in. You are all the way invested in into this world and yeah, I can suck you in for better or for worse. And now we get to hear about all those stories on dark side of the ring. <laughs> all right, guys, thank you so much for joining me. It was really fun to get to chat and pick your guys' brains. Uh, make sure to check out Dark Side of the Ring that is premiering on May the 6th on Vice, uh, starting with that Brian Pillman episode number one. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. Cool. Thanks, guys. Uh, hopefully John Zandig won't come and kill me. We make no promises. It sounds like he's off his fucking rocker. You know those hot takes you post on social media? Well, now you can win up to five thousand dollars when you put those takes to the test on FanDuel. It's a new game called Over Under, and it's absolutely free to play on FanDuel. So here's how it works: FanDuel will set lines on things like total points or three pointers made during every NBA on TNT broadcast. All you have to do is pick over or under for every prop. Your picks could win you a share of $5,000 during every contest. FanDuel is the exclusive home for Over Under, and it's available in all 50 states. You can play from anywhere. All you have to do is go to FanDuel.com slash Over Under and sign up now. If you've not done so already, please just do it. You're going to love it. Just create a new FanDuel account. If you don't already have one, it takes less than two minutes to sign up. 
Then you put your takes to the test during every NBA on TNT broadcast at FanDuel.com slash over under. They could be worth up to 5,000 bucks. Do it. Age and location restrictions apply. See FanDuel.com for terms and conditions. And a big thank you to Evan and Jason. Uh, it's so much fun having you guys on the show and chatting. I feel like I want to just create a bunch of shows with you guys now because you obviously know exactly what you're doing. Creating awesome content for all of us wrestling-loving nerds that just want to get in and know more things about the world of wrestling. So thanks to them. May 6th on Vice, you guys can check out episode one from season three featuring the story of Brian Pillman. I cannot wait to watch this. Um, Yeah, you guys know what to do. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Renee Paquette. Follow the volume at the volume sports on Instagram and Twitter. And of course, check out all of our YouTube pages, mine and the volumes. Like, subscribe, share, turn on those notifications, all of those good things. And I'll see you guys next time on Oral Sessions.